everybody, welcome back to the Greed Line. Get over here. <laughs> that is a little hint for what you're going to hear later. I'm Jackson. I'm Lauren. And this is the Green Light, as yes. you heard. Lauren, what do we do on this version of the Green Light? We choose an older film or piece of content and a newer film or piece of content and talk about them. Talk about some trivia, talk about the people involved, and ultimately talk about whether we would green light those projects ourselves. Correct. Uh, we have two very different projects to we talk really about do. today. Uh, one that will make your brain get bigger and one that will make your brain get smoother. So <laughs> uh, we'll, we'll get into that. Uh, we could go ahead and say what they are, I guess. Yeah. Lauren, what do you have for us? What are you bringing to us today? To the table today. Yes. Uh, what do I bring to the fast food table? It Whoa. is the HBO docuseries McMillions about... Um, how McDonald's Monopoly got rigged. Yep, there you go. And for me, the smooth brain one over here, <laughs> I will be talking about 1995 Mortal Kombat. Let's go. So not the new one. However, this is sort of in anticipation for the new one. Yes. Even though technically when we release this episode, it will have just come out. Yes. Uh, I'm not sure whether I will do a full discussion because obviously we're getting a lot of trivia about the Mortal Kombat series on this episode. However, I'm sure I'll mention it and at least talk about it on this show Yeah, very we might briefly. do a ramble episode about it if we don't that's true if that was, he doesn't do it for the main one yeah for I'm sure on the spot here but <laughs> that would that that would be that would be good i think so yes we will get to that in a bit however let's do a few housekeeping things um uh let's start off crazy follow us on social media please whoa <laughs> at tgl underscore pod instagram and twitter and the at green light pod on Facebook. Yes, that's correct. And let me check and see if we have any new yeah. reviews. I know we do have some new reviews on our other podcast. Oh, I also meant to say while you're checking on that, um, we have a Patreon. You can join it for the very low fee of uh, $1 or one unit of currency a month. <laughs> you can do more than that, however, uh, and we greatly appreciate it if you do. Yes. And we got a new patron. I totally forgot to shout them out last week. Uh, I did shout them out on our other show. Maybe he's from there, but it's Patrick. Thank you, Patrick, for joining our Patreon. Thanks, Pat. We, we appreciate it. Uh, yes, we don't have any new reviews, so please uh, rate and review five stars on Apple Podcasts. Uh, if you can't do that because you don't have an iPhone or you don't listen to us on there, you send us an email and we'll we'll read it on the show. Yeah, uh, yeah, I know we'll we've had some five people doing that for our other show. Uh, and if you don't listen to our other show, you should, especially if you like The Masked Singer. Yes. It's called Who Is That? The Masked Singer Podcast. Even if you don't, just li we have a good time over there. We do. We, we, we have a lot of fun, so. So, so definitely check that out. And if you're here from that show, welcome. Yes. Welcome, welcome, welcome. Hear us nerd out about some movies. <laughs> um, okay. Uh, I think that's all housekeeping we have, right? Yeah. Okay. Uh, what do we want to do? We want to go old to first, old to new, or new to old? It is up to you. Uh, pick a number one or two. One. All right. I'll go first. Okay. All righty. We're starting old to new. Let's bring us back to 1995, and this is not as far back as we're going to go. That's However, true. let's start there. So, 1995, a little movie was released called Mortal Kombat. Here's the synopsis. Based on the popular video game of the same name, Mortal Kombat tells the story of an ancient tournament where the best of the best of different realms fight each other. The goal? Ten wins to be able to legally invade the losing realm. Outworld has so far collected nine wins against Earthrealm, so it's up to Lord Raiden and his his fighters to stop Outworld from reaching the final victory. God, this movie is so stupid. I'm obsessed. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You didn't watch it with us, did you? No, I didn't. I, I saw bits and pieces. Sure, sure. That was enough for me. <laughs> so I'm sure you've heard of Mortal Kombat because it is, as we will talk about, one of the most popular video game franchises of all time. And uh, it, it's one of the early uh, arcade fighting games. Uh, so we'll, we'll get into that. But essentially, yeah, the movie is based off the plot of sort of the first and second games. So if you're familiar with those, you'll be a little familiar with the movie. Uh, let's go ahead and get into uh, who's behind this film, shall we? So it was written by Kevin Droney. Uh, before this, hadn't really done a whole lot. Uh, he'd written episodes of TV shows, uh, things such as The Equalizer, Jake and the Fat Man, Hunter, Undercover, Human Target, and Highlander. And his career ended like five years after this movie, so he didn't have a super long-standing career. Uh, this is directed by Paul W.S. Anderson, 
And he actually had an even shorter career than Kevin hmm. because he had only really directed one movie before this called Shopping, to which he wrote and directed, actually. Uh, so however, definitely some indie stuff there. Yeah. <laughs> uh, however, actually, he had a decent career after this. He went on to direct more action films like Alien vs. Predator, mm. Death Race, and a few of the Resident Evil movies. Okay. So, you know, his his career sort of did okay after more this. More video game movies. Yeah, true, <laughs> true. Some, some more video games movie in there, definitely. Uh, so let's get to who is in this movie. Uh, so this movie really follows three specific characters. It follows Liu Kang, Johnny Cage, and Sonya Blade. Uh, those are the three sort of... Uh, all three... I believe, are fighters in the original game, at the very least in the second game. Um, so these fighters from Earthrealm, obviously. Uh, and, uh, yeah, so uh, Liu Kang is sort of our, our protagonist, I would say. Um, uh, played by Robin Chu, or Xiao, I'm not sure, probably Robin Xiao. Uh, so Robin Xiao had been acting since 1987. However, uh, not in anything super recognizable. Uh, most of it was sort of smaller action and kung fu movies. Some uh, in uh, China and Japan, um, uh, including some of my favorite titles from those. Casino Raiders, Fatal Termination, Tiger Cage 2, and Angel the Kickboxer. Angel the Kickboxer. I feel like all of those names could almost be just like a random name generator of like kung fu movies or like action movies. Yeah, I, I feel that. <laughs> like Tiger Cage. <laughs> Fatal Termination. I, I just find that funny. Fatal Termination, like... I mean, I guess maybe a termination from a job isn't fatal, but I feel like termination implies fatal. Sure. They're you know? just really hammering home that yeah. this is a bad termination. Yeah. It's real bad. <laughs> Uh, so, uh, a little bit about Robin. Uh, he was actually 35 when this movie came out, because I, I guess you didn't see it, but he looks very young in this movie. Oh, really? And he actually looks uh, still really good to this day. Um, but, uh, so he it was actually one of the only of the main three who was a martial artist before this. Uh, he had been a martial artist since he was 19. Uh, and he, he actually went through seven rounds of auditions before he landed this role. Wow. Yeah, they really wanted to find someone, uh, who was good and who was a martial artist for Liu Kang, sort of the lead of this film. Um, and also it was, it was kind of important at the time too, because it was a, uh, one of the only films at the time to, uh, to star, uh, an Asian American actor. So. Or at least one of the only American films, I guess. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So they wanted. I figured that's what you meant. Uh, yeah, yeah. So they wanted. Um, they wanted to make sure they they had someone good, and and they did. Nice. Uh, yes. So he was also actually the only one to appear in the sequel. That was two years later, hmm. and for probably obvious reasons, because uh, the sequel was very bad, very 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 bad. Um, and also, he's actually the only person to not appear as a voice in the Mortal Kombat 11 video game. Out of, huh. out of the other people we're going to talk about, which is interesting. All right, moving on to who played Johnny Cage. Johnny Cage is sort of our uh, our action star. He's he's like the Hollywood uh, martial artist uh, set to also protect Earthrealm. So, so mm -hmm. good for you, Johnny. He was also 35 when he played this role. Uh, his big break was a year before uh, in the movie Wyatt Earp opposite Kevin Costner. Uh, but this was really his first, like starring role you know he was he was probably you know he and Sonya are are I mean you could say all three of them are the leads but you know uh, th this was this was one of one of his uh biggest films to date uh he did not know martial arts before this but he trained for two months before to learn okay um and then finally for Sonya Blade we have Bridget Wilson who was only 22 years old when this movie came out which is interesting because she and Johnny Cage have yeah, a I'm, have I'm a love relationship going. <laughs> yes. Don't do the math. It it only ends up being bad. Uh <laughs> she was actually out of the 3 she was probably the biggest name. Uh she got her start on the soap opera Santa Barbara. She was in 56 episodes. Wow. Uh and then she was in movies uh like The Last Action Hero which is an Arnold Schwarzenegger movie. She played uh his daughter and she was in Billy Madison before uh, appearing in Mortal Kombat. Um, and after this, I just, just a few things. Uh, she appeared in I Know What You Did Last Summer. Hey! Which is fun. And you know, we still we're need to probably going to do that as, as our old one. I'm sure we will, and I can't wait We've to do it. We've been dancing around it. It's <laughs> just been showing up in all of our other ones. We really have. We've been just tickling <laughs> I Know What You Did Last Summer, just, just hoping it'll laugh. <laughs> uh, cool. And then uh, the sort of the... Two father figures, if you will, in this film. We have Lord Raiden, played by Christopher Lambert, uh, who's a who's a big character actor who's had sort of a long career. Um, 
I don't know if I you would like recognize him per se, but he's been in a lot of stuff. Okay. As well as Carrie uh, Hiroyuki Tagawa playing Shang Tsung, who is sort of our main villain in this movie. Uh, also a character actor and a fairly big voice actor as well from what I was seeing. So cool. those are the names we have. Uh, none of them are like huge, as you probably can tell. Yeah, well, I don't know who any of those people are so exactly yeah and even yeah even in the 90s it's like they 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 weren't necessarily huge blockbuster names that you could bank a movie on so a bit of a strike however i almost feel like they were banking the movie on the game success correct which they were um but you know it, it also is like a thing of do you really want someone with a huge name because then you see them as that instead of like a video game character you know it depends tbd uh however you don't have a big name, so you can't do that anyways. Hmm? Speak. Excuse me. Oof. Speaking of the video game, Lauren, let's talk about it. So. Let's talk. As we have mentioned, this was based off of the video game Mortal Kombat. Uh, Mortal Kombat was originally released as an arcade game in 1992 and has since spawned over 20 sequels and spinoffs since then, most recently with Mortal Kombat 11 in 2019. I know it's 11, but that's why I included spinoffs, because there are others not in the main series. Um, Originally, and this is a fun fact, um, originally it was intended to, the the game was supposed to be based around Jean-Claude Van Damme. Who was, uh, I'm sure you know if you're listening to this show because you like movies, but a very big action star, kung fu star at that time. Uh, however, that idea sort of fell through and it led to sort of just this fantasy theme fighting game idea. Yeah, I guess it's like if you don't get that guy on board, it's just not going to happen that way. You yeah. know, like yeah. if you're building a whole game around one guy. <laughs> exactly. Um, so... Uh, the character of Johnny Cage, however, as we see sort of the kung fu action star, uh, is sort of based around him, his character. Um, so Mortal Kombat, uh, if you don't know, it's known for its sort of two-dimensional fighting style, and uh, most particularly, it's known for its graphic violence. I'd say so. Yeah. Uh, so if you have never played a Mortal Kombat game, one of the main facets of it are the fatalities, which fatality. are sort of the... Fatality. Fatality. You lose. <laughs> so essentially, these are finishing moves. You beat the other character, and you have the opportunity to do a fatality, which is often a very graphic... They're kind of gross. <laughs> they, they, they're often very gross. It is a depiction of either mutilating or blowing up or destroying it, it is putting a whole hole through someone exactly you know? <laughs> and you know they've gotten more creative as the games have continued but it's essentially a graphic way to finish off your opponent now uh when mortal kombat the first one first came out uh it actually was uh, in, along with a few other violent games at the time but mortal kombat was one of the main ones that actually forced the creation of the ESRB which is the uh the rating system uh yeah. entertainment software rating board they didn't want 6 year olds stumbling upon this game exactly <laughs> so from the, from then on it required all video games not only to be rated but for those ratings to appear on the game's packaging so the first Mortal Kombat was it, it was a it was a decent sized success. Uh, it was named the second most popular upright arcade cabinet of September 1992 and remained at the top of the charts until March of 1993. Uh, it grossed more than 300 million dollars in 1993, uh, which actually exceeded the domestic box office of Jurassic Park. Obviously, that's the video game instead of the movie, but still, oh, right? It, right. It, I, in my mind, I was like, "What?" <laughs> no, no, no. Talking about the video game, it was a weird comparison. I thought when I saw it, but just just interesting. However. Mortal Kombat 2, which released just a year later in 1993, really sort of took the series to new heights. Uh, and actually, Mortal Kombat 2 is really still considered to be one of the greatest fighting games, and, you know, stands atop some of the, like, the greatest of the greatest video games of all time. Um, it expanded the plot, um, it added five more playable characters, um, including Shang Tsung and other villains as, as playable characters. They, Shang Tsung was in the first one, right. however, he wasn't playable. Uh, so this one was even more wildly successful than the first one. Uh, the arcade version sold 25,000 units, and that means, like, 25 of the big arcade things. Uh, and grossed $600 million as of 2002. Hey, Jackson. Sheesh! Sheesh! (laughs) I've been giving Jackson crap for doing that for several days. She has. If you're not on TikTok, it's kind of a TikTok thing, but anyways. Uh, Well, I'm not, but I know it from you now. 
Okay. Uh, <laughs> so th- those were just the arcade versions. Uh, there were also 2.5 million copies that were shipped and distributed for home consoles, uh, which was the best opening week sales in video game history at that point. That was just in the first wow. week. That was just in the first week. Wow. Not only was it a financial success, but it was very much a critical success as well. Everyone, it gave got glowing reviews. And while the first Mortal Kombat did get good reviews, uh, you know, they were still, it was, I would say if it was a Rotten Tomato score, it would probably be around like 70, 80. But this one blew it out of the park. Uh, it won numerous annual awards from gaming publications, including, among others, Best Genesis Fighting Game, which Genesis was a console. Best Overall SNES Game. Top Game of 1994. Best Tournament Fighter. And, of course, Bloodiest Game of 1994. <laughs> uh, this game was so graphic and violent that it was actually banned in Germany altogether. So, as you could tell, Mortal Kombat... Figured it had to be banned somewhere. Exactly. Exactly. Uh, so, yeah, there, there is a lot of, of history... Uh, even in just those first two games, you know, there there's actually a lot of success going behind this, which is very interesting. However, going against that, there have been other very successful gaming franchises. Definitely. Um, one of, I would argue, probably the most successful of all time being uh, Super Mario Brothers. Yeah. Which has spawned, you know, many games has of the same. Games, fighting games. Has an, an insane amount of different games. So we're going to dive a little bit into I'd video game not as graphic though. Not nearly as graphic. <laughs> uh we're going to dive into video game movie history and that is why I bring up Super Mario Brothers. Oh. Because Mortal Kombat is a very successful series. So was Super Mario Brothers, however, arguably more successful especially at this time. In 1993, Super Mario Brothers was the movie was released in theaters. Did you not know about this? I didn't know Did you know not know that this movie. existed? Well, because you said you said movies, and I was like, when was there, like, a? when did Nintendo make a movie? Yeah. Uh, I'm not sure. This might have been, like, the first, uh, like, Western live-action video game, uh, video game movie. Wait, it's live-action? Oh, no. Yes, it is, Lauren. I don't want to see real-life Toad. It's very much live-action. Well, Lauren, uh, most critics would agree with you. (laughs) This movie was critically and financially a absolute failure. It has a whopping 24% on Rotten Tomatoes. Uh, on IMDb, it Maybe has a score. We should do that for our greenlit. <laughs> that would it would be a really interesting greenlit. Uh, it has a rating of four point one out of ten on IMDb. That seems high. It yeah, it seems. I honestly, it probably survives solely on its name. Like people enjoying it because of the name. I'm actually looking up the uh, the budget. Um, yes. Uh, so the budget has an estimated uh, uh forty eight million dollars. It's gross box office, $20 million. So it was, uh, <laughs> it cost over twice as much to make than, uh, uh, than it gained back. And that doesn't even include marketing, which probably was easily another $20 million. Oh my God. I'm looking at pictures right now. They're going to haunt your dreams. What? Live what action Mario thing? and Luigi. Probably one of those, you know, just like the like- shells maybe. Oh, like maybe like the Goombas, you know, yeah. like the little, uh, yeah. the little guys that are just like heads and feet, yeah. with teeth. Yeah, probably. God, that's horrifying. Yes, Lauren, it certainly is. <laughs> so, uh, to to go sort of further into video game movie history, uh, this was sort of at the beginning, actually, of of the overall history. Like I said, uh, there actually wasn't a huge precedent for video game movies so far. Um, Super Mario Brothers in 1993, which was a huge critical failure and financial failure, as well as Double Dragon in 1994, also a critical and financial failure. Uh, Street Fighter uh, was also released in 1994, which did a little better at the box office. However, it wasn't nearly uh, the the success that it was meant to be, uh, and critically, financially, didn't live up to uh, uh, its its name. So... It's uh, it's not exactly good precedent for even some of the most popular video game franchises at right. that point. Uh, so really, the person who was sort of pushing for this movie was one of the producers, uh, Larry Kasanoff. Um, he said this was a quote from from a Hollywood Reporter article that I wish I could have included more from, but it was it was very long. And uh, but if you get a chance to check it out, definitely do. Uh, he said I played the Mortal Kombat arcade game uh, in their office. Some the creators. 
for half an hour, and I turned to former Midway Games chief Neil D. DeCastro, and I said, this is Star Wars meets Enter the Dragon. This is not just an arcade game, this is a whole phenomenon. He said, if you give me the rights to this, I promise I will produce this, not just in movies, but in every medium in the world. Where's the novel? Where's the Mortal Kombat novel? <laughs> that's a that's a. I'm sure that I'm sure there are at the very sure least graphic least novels. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, so that's uh, we, you had someone very passionate about the project. That's for sure. Uh, obviously, I and I think you can see that sort of in some of the other things, you know, especially in like the casting of Liu Kang. You know, they they really wanted to try to get this right. Um, a, a fun fact about this that I'm just gonna give you for free. Just a free fun fact, if okay. you will. Uh, so ju- just in some of the innovation that they tried to to add to this movie and in, in its creation, uh, it was actually, uh, I'm not sure if it was the first, but one of the first Western movies to employ wire foo, which is a tradition that hails from Hong Kong cinema. Okay. Uh, however, most people believe that it was The Matrix that was the first Western movie to do that. That's not true. It was actually this movie um, w- was before it, which I think is interesting and, and yeah. sort of shows, I think, a respect for the genre in a way. Uh, so let's get to how this movie did. So we we have all this behind it. You have a very popular video game franchise in the past couple of years having one of the best, you know, best-selling games and, and best critically reviewed games. However, you also have a history of video games being wildly unsuccessful. Yeah. So the budget for this was $18 million. What do you think the, the box office was for this? Worldwide total. Like first weekend or just like total. in general? In total. general, yeah. I don't know. Uh, 50 million. It made $122.2 million. It spent three weeks as the number one film on the US charts. So at the time, it sort of broke that, that video game curse, which is interesting. Yeah. Um, and after that, it sort of turned into a bit of a cult classic. If you compare it to other video game movies, it kind of holds up well. Um, so that's that. That's about the movie. That's kind of how it did. Now we'll get to my thoughts. Yeah. So this movie holds kind of a weird place in my heart. Uh, because on one hand, I recognize it has many flaws. Hmm. Lauren, it has many flaws. <laughs> the dialogue... Bad. It is... It is, And it's, it's kind of something to expect from a 90s video game kung fu movie. You know, you, you, you don't go for the dialogue. However, it's not just, like, it's not just passable. It is bad. Like, it is noticeably bad. <laughs> um, the plot is okay. You know, it, it, it takes pretty, pretty well from the video game. But, you know, uh, translated to film, it's, like, it's fine because it, it's, it's a bit repetitive. It's, like, mm-hmm. pe- just people fighting each other. Which, once again, you, you could get behind it, but it's not revolutionary. Uh, the acting is also fine (laughs) it's fine no one blows you out of the water uh and i will say watching it in 2021 the effects don't really hold up i'm not gonna hold that against it sure especially because if i'm if i'm approaching it from a 1995 standpoint the effects are not great now however maybe at the time they were they were really cool however on the other hand i had a lot of fun watching this movie (laughs) one thing that i can say that i actually like is a good thing about this movie that I think a lot of people would agree. The set design is actually really beautiful. I think mm-hmm. it does a great job of like setting the mood and tone, like from from the island they're they're set to, from like the ship that gets them there. I think it's really cool and intricate, and and the design is very cool. The fight with the fight sequences are pretty decent, I would say as well. Like they keep you engaged. I honestly, even though I know I said it's like it, it's just like fight to fight to fight. I could have used more fighting to be honest, because that was probably my favorite part of the movie. Yeah. Once again, the plot That's what is they whatever. Do well. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, and you know, it it if you're looking for a video game feel, this movie does it. It really does it because even in the fight sequences, the score, it feels like the most video game thing of all time. Like it's not like you're it, it puts you in an arcade and you're watching this, which is which is fun. My biggest gripe and why it's going to lead me to where I go with my green slash red light. Whoa. This film is based on one of the most violent video games of all time. It literally forced the creation of a rating system for video games. And it's rated PG-13. 
Yeah, you got to go farther with that. You have I think it's to like go they probably want like the 12-year-olds who think they're bad because they they're do. playing this game to watch this movie. They do, and I get that, and I completely understand that, and that's probably why it made $122 million at the yeah, box office. because a bunch of kids dragged their parents to see this movie. Yes, and I understand, especially at the time, because, you know, I mean, obviously it was controversial because of its violence, so if it had more violence as a movie, you have less of an audience even with that. But as far as just, like, a quality standpoint and, like, an artistic standpoint, I think, because a lot of people say that this is a, a, a pretty faithful adaption to the game. And while I agree to a certain extent, I don't think you could say it's a, a really faithful adaption with a PG-13 movie. Yeah, it's, I, I almost feel like the crux of the game is that it's, like, kind of gory. It's kind of horrific, you know? It is, it is. And, like, there there are some cool sequences, and there are some, some relatively graphic sequences for a PG-13 movie in this film. However, you notice I had to put the disclaimer for a PG-13 film. I, I think they could have done a little more. So, uh, let's move on to sort of my verdict. Okay. Would I green light or red light this movie? And I'm gonna take I'm gonna take it from a couple different perspectives. So, the, me now looking back on it as a cult classic, I think it's 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 perfect as a cult classic. Like I I think it does a good job of being fun and being very campy and being something that you can make fun of because yeah. it's not perfect. Uh, however, you it's maybe not even good. Yeah, it, it, <laughs> it, exactly. While while some things are, are are good about it, you know, probably many would agree that this isn't a good movie. However, I I feel like if if I'm going to take this as a studio in 1995, do I greenlight this movie? I probably say no. I think especially because you know, thankfully it did make money. Yeah, but. Looking at all of the other video game films around that time, yeah. like, I would not have faith in this project. E- even even with, like, you know, even looking back today, like, the video game movies that have followed this, it's just a genre that has a curse. Yeah. It's very hard to make a good video game movie. Yeah. So, not that I don't like this movie, I really do, but for those reasons, if I get approached... And so as, as a studio executive say, hey, I want to make a movie. It's based off of a video game. Not only is it based off a video game, which has bad success, it's based on an incredibly violent video game that I probably can't market to its fullest potential or even make to its fullest potential that I would want to. I'd have to say no. For that reason, I unfortunately I'm out. am out. <laughs> I have to put the red light on this film from the 1995 perspective. Jackson Campbell currently, I would green light it. However, <laughs> from that perspective, I have to red light it. Okay. I love you, Mortal Kombat. I'm sorry. I love the video games, too. I really do. They're great. They're awesome. They're so much fun. All right. Well, do you want to give me your two truths and a lie before we move on to mine? I guess I guess we can, since you're having to I'm do yours at a different time. Because I'm doing mine kind of in time. the middle, yeah. Sure. Yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll break it up a little bit. Okay. Two truths and a lie. Let's go. The, the aforementioned Jotkan Van Damme. Not only was he, the game was supposed to be based off him, but he was actually offered the role of Johnny Cage. But he turned it down uh, to appear in Street Fighter 4 from the previous year, as I mentioned. Truth number two. Steven Spielberg, who is an avid fan of the Mortal Kombat series, made a cameo appearance as the director in Johnny Cage's first fight scene. Or first movie fighting scene, whatever. Hmm. Truth three. Cameron Diaz was actually cast as the role of Sonya Blade after the producer saw her dailies from The Mask in 1994. However, she broke her wrist during training just before filming and then had to be replaced by Bridget Wilson Sampras as the role of Sonya. Huh. That's tough. Okay. <laughs> let, let so me hear your thought I know process. that earlier you mentioned that you thought it was like kind of important that um the the guy who was cast as johnny cage or the he's the he's the like main main guy right that's Liu kang oh okay because yeah, yeah. i thought you were saying like that was the one who was an, an asian american actor no 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 okay yeah that's mm. Liu kang johnny cage a white guy a different guy yeah well it's tough because i feel like that third one has so many specific things in it that you could have just lied about one of them What was the second one again? The Steven Spielberg cameo? Yes, the uh, Steven Spielberg cameo was the second one. 
It's a tough one. I've stumped. I don't think Steven Spielberg was in this movie, Jackson. Is that your official answer? I think so. Dang it, you're right. (laughs) (laughs) He was not. However, the I I didn't. I mean. It, I twisted that fact. He was actually supposed to make a cameo appearance. In oh, it. really? Yeah. It it fell through, and if you watch the movie, you can very much tell that that director is supposed to be based off of Steven Spielberg. Oh, Just that's funny. Th- the way he looks and acts, it's very clear that it's supposed to be Steven Spielberg, but <laughs> they couldn't get him. Sad. Yeah, but those yeah, other facts sense, are though. those other facts are true. I thought it was huh. really interesting that Cameron Diaz was cast as Sonya Blade. Yeah, well, I think that, that would be definitely an interesting would have movie. been. I mean, then again, I guess they tried to cast another big name too, but yeah, you know, I yeah, because yeah, the she definitely would have been a bigger pull. Yeah, but you know, I mean, I'm glad that somebody kind of got her first big thing that's not a soap opera. So. Yeah. Well, and it, it's actually interesting because she auditioned for the role initially, but the casting process took so long that she instead took Billy Madison. Oh. But right as Cameron Diaz broke her wrist was when Billy Madison finished filming. She so, was like, turns out I'm available. Yeah. So <laughs> she was like rushed to set. She had to learn her fight sequences in between shooting. Wow. Yeah. That's Kind of dangerous. <laughs> it definitely is, but she's also kind of a baller. I appreciate All right. It. Well, let's go. Okay. Lauren. All right. Shall bring we Bring us into on? the 21st century. All right. Uh, McMillions, sometimes referred to with a dollar sign as the S. As the it end, should always be. Uh, is a 2020 uh, HBO docuseries, six parts, um, produced by not only HBO, but guess what celebrity producer? Uh, Brad Pitt. It's Marky Mark. <laughs> Are you serious? Yep, Marky Mark. Mark. He he did this. You know he did this just to be like, oh, McDonald's is bad. Come to Wahlburgers. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, to be fair, I think this documentary frames McDonald's in a, like a favorable light because McDonald's oh, was not really? at all behind this. Oh, sure. I guess um, that's fair. So, yeah, it was uh, his production company. Um, what is it? I wrote it down. Um, Wall Street. No, it's uh, Unrealistic Ideas. That's it. Okay. Mark Wahlberg's production company. So yeah, he has an EP credit on this. And um, uh, it was nominated for five primetime Emmys. Did not win any of them. Wow. But yeah, Mark Wahlberg was one of the production nominees. (laughs) Let's go, Marky Mark. Um, Yeah. Okay. So I wrote down a little synopsis for this because I felt like the IMDb one was a little lacking. And I didn't want to go into as much detail as like the episode per by episode synopsis. Sure. Okay. Lay it on us. During the 1990s, there were close to zero legitimate high-dollar winners of the McDonald's Monopoly game, unbeknownst to both McDonald's and the general public. Turns out, it was the mob. But even they couldn't have done it without the help of one man on the inside, surrounded by an incompetent security team. (laughs) This goes through the FBI agent's journey through this case, the winners' and victims' experiences. Those are the same people. That's right. You heard it. Whoa. Uh, and even the experiences of some of the culprits. Sheesh. Wow. Um, I, I might be jumping the gun. Uh, would you be able to explain what the McDonald's Monopoly is for some of our yeah, younger yeah, yeah. listeners? So McDonald's Monopoly, and, um, and I mean, it definitely it was still a thing when we were kids. It was. Too. I remember it a little bit. I remember bit, yeah. playing it. Um, basically, on McDonald's products, like the cups, the bags, the, the fries, fries yeah. stuff like that, there would be these little peel-off McDonald's Monopoly cards. And you would peel it off, and it would say if you won something. Mm -hmm. The prize is... um, Well, that's actually one of my two truths and a lie, what the prize is included. Okay. (laughs) Um, But, you know, all kinds of stuff. I I imagine, and I'm spitballing you, tell me if I'm wrong, I imagine ranged from, like, a small fry to, like, $50 million. Maybe not that big, but, like... Yeah, I mean, I will go ahead and say the biggest prize was $1 million. Okay, sure. Um, so I imagine it like things in store slash monetary prizes. Yeah. I would guess. Uh, yeah, so to anyway. To not spoil. Um, so basically there was uh, a guy who, I guess these are kind of spoilers, more detailed spoiler <laughs> synopsis. Okay, cool. Um, there was a guy who worked at the uh, marketing company, Simon Marketing, mm-hmm. that was responsible for the distribution of the game cards. Sure. Right? And uh, there was this guy named Jerry Jacobson. There are two Jerrys in the story. Whoa. Uh, two too big many. Jerrys in the story. Too yeah. many. Two Jerry, too many. Um, yeah, a guy named Jerry Jacobson, who was the head of security there, he was responsible for basically transporting the winning game pieces from like the people who printed them yeah, and made sure that they were distributed uh, well. But he managed to steal those game pieces, 
send them to Jerry Columbo, whose real name is Gennaro. Um, okay. <laughs> kind of a weird, like, it seems like Jerry wouldn't be short for that, but sure. yeah, uh, it was Gennaro and Jerome, and they're both Jerry. Uh, okay. Um, so yeah, Gennaro Columbo, um, who was in the mob and would then basically coordinate people who were going to be the winners, right? Because mm. they couldn't, a lot of them were in his family, Yeah. but they had all of different last names. Um, there was just a big deal coordinating who was going to win these tickets. And then sure. the people who won the tickets would then have to pay like 50 grand or a hundred grand up front for the million dollar tickets. And then also, you know, every time they got a payment because the million dollar uh, tickets were paid off 50 grand a year for 20 years oh, wow. to okay. the winners, um, yeah. they would have to pay off a portion of that, which became a problem because they had to pay a portion to them and also pay taxes on it. Oh. So they ended up not really getting a lot of money, especially for the first few years. Yeah. Um, and as this has come out, you know, none of those people really got their full payouts. So are, are the, the, the people that received it, they were like friends and associates of the people who were scamming? Uh, yeah, somewhat. So there were, there's one lady they talked to, a woman named Gloria, who lived in Jacksonville, Florida, which is where a lot of the winners were. And she was friends <laughs> with Jerry Colombo's wife. Okay, gotcha. So it, it's people that they knew, essentially, Yeah, is what you're pretty saying. much people that they knew. Okay. Um, at one point, uh, Jerry Colombo did die in a car accident, and after that, uh, Jerry Jacobson then found other recruiters. Gotcha. Okay. To, to find winners, basically. But sure. yeah, I mean, it's funny. There was a line that uh, Jerry's Jerry Colombo's wife said that was like, you know, you just pick an Italians from the East Coast. You got to get somebody else. <laughs> you know. <laughs> fair, fair. From um, specifically Jacksonville, Florida, yeah. which uh, that place has had no luck ever. So I can't believe that this would be true ever. Yeah. Anyway. <laughs> um. Yeah. So it's kind of just a crazy story. Uh. It's over six hour long episodes, so it's like a little wow. under six hours total. Pretty beefy. Yeah. Pretty beefy. Um. It aired on HBO and I believe Sky Entertainment or something like that in the UK. Sky Documentaries in the UK. Okay. Okay, cool. Um, in in twenty twenty, early twenty twenty, um, pre pandemic twenty twenty, crazy, crazy. Um, yeah. Okay, so let's talk about some of the people involved in this. Obviously, documentaries are a little different than other movies because we're not necessarily talking about the cast because it's just the it's people, people involved. <laughs> yeah, yeah, real people involved. They do cast actors for some of the like, um, you know, when they sort of recreate scenes from these people's past. Yeah, they yeah. reenact it. Um, so they do have some actors for that, but it's not anyone well known by any means. Yeah. Um. But, you know, the documentarians, uh, basically the, the brain, the brain behind this operation, uh, for the documentary making was James Lee Hernandez. So he actually found out about the, uh, McDonald's Monopoly scandal through the Today I Learned subreddit. Yeah. <laughs> Interesting. Okay. A few years ago. So he kind of did some more research. Realized there really wasn't a, a ton of information that was in detail out there. Yeah. So he did like a Freedom of Information Act, requested information on this case from the federal government, hmm. um, learned some more information, and teamed up with um, another filmmaker, Brian Lazart, or Brian Lazarte, I'm not really sure. Um, and yeah, they pretty much were the... Uh, they're credited as writers, but, you know, for a documentary, it's really more of an editing thing. So they're writer, sure. editor, directors, and producers on this. Gotcha. Wow. Um, okay. Both of them. So before this, uh, James Lee Hernandez also edited uh, the docuseries Wonder Women in 2017, okay. um, which won a daytime Emmy. He also has, like I said, directing and producing credits for this. He has a lot of credits in different areas, which tells me he's done a lot of indie stuff because I haven't really heard of much of the other stuff at all that he's sure. done. I mean, also with like, I feel like with documentaries, they're definitely not. It's like definitely as a popular. lot of everything. Yeah. Yeah. Sure. Um. So yeah, I mean, he has editing, directing, producing, even composing credits. He has cinematography credits. Wow, like, cool. You know, color editing stuff like that. Um, and then uh, another interesting thing was that he was involved in a project called Vietnam: A Lifelong Journey which Brian Lazarte had a special thanks credit for. So I think oh, okay. that might be how they know each other. Sure. Um, because, you know, they, he, again, like James Lee Hernandez reached out to him. It wasn't more of like a, it wasn't like they were stuck together by somebody else. Like sure. this was a it collaborative was process between them. Sure. Yeah. Ooh. So uh, Brian Lazarte also edited Katy Perry, Part of Me. Let's go. Let's go. 
Um, I think there was, uh, there's also a, a docu documentary about the Foo Fighters that he edited. Oh, cool. Um, he edited Fed Up, which I've seen. It's about, it's a documentary from 2014 about the sugar industry. Um, he edited a bunch of episodes of Kitchen Nightmares from 2012 to 2014. Yeah. He edited five episodes of Shaq Versus in 2009. Let's go. I had to ask Jackson what that was. Uh, he edited some episodes of Scream Queens in 2008. And uh, like I said, he was also a director and producer on McMillions. Yes, he was. So yeah, I think that Brian Lazarte has definitely done a good bit more, you know, well-known stuff than sure. uh, James Lee Hernandez. But at the same time, they both had a lot of documentaries, docu-series, even sure. short docs Experience. under their belt yeah. Yeah, before this. Um, yeah, and then they pretty much got together with Unrealistic Ideas, Mark Wahlberg's company, and HBO, you know, and they they made it happen. Mm -hmm. um, they, I believe from a Guardian article I read, they actually kind of started doing interviews and trying to put this together before they officially teamed up with uh the the production companies that makes sense I, you know i mean they kind of started working to be like hey these people will talk to us yeah and, and th this is what we can do i feel like yeah. that i i took a documentary class in college but i don't remember much of it. <laughs> I, I feel like that's kind of part of the process with documentaries yeah it's like you do what you can and then, i feel like, like part of your proof of concept is kind of showing like these people will talk to me i yeah. will be able to make this for sure for um, sure, for sure. And I think that that's especially a big deal with this because so many of the people involved in this are in or associated with the mob. Yes, you know, correct. I feel like notorious for not talking. Yeah. <laughs> that's that's the mob. Kind, so, of, the, kind of their deal. <laughs> yeah. Um, okay, so I would like to go ahead and do my two truths and a lie. Whoa, okay. Because I, I actually, I, this is pretty short, you know. Yeah, sure. Like, for me. Um, okay, here we go. Okay. Uh, this is the prize thing. During the era of the cheating scandal, again, a lot of the 90s, yeah. uh, game prizes ranged from free food to vacations, cars, and cash up to the value of a million dollars. There were also some pieces that you would get four of them and they would be $25,000 each, or if you had all four, $100,000. Okay. Um, those were like different Monopoly properties, sure. basically. Yeah. Okay, next one. The million-dollar card that was anonymously donated to St. Jude's Children's Hospital. Um, this happens at one point. Sorry. St. Jude's Children's Hospital gets a million-dollar card. Oh, cool. In the mail. Okay. Like, anonymous person. And even though, like, it wasn't technically in the game rules, <laughs> yeah. that um, this is not the true and lie part. This definitely yeah, happened, yeah, obviously. Yeah. But um, even though it's not technically in the game rules, that it's like, uh, it's the rules around basically being able to be given a card are a little iffy. Sure. But because it was a donation, million dollars, <laughs> McDonald's basically just cut them a million dollar check. Sure. Okay. Um, yeah. So the million dollar card that was anonymously donated to St. Jude's Children's Hospital is believed to be the only legitimate million dollar instant winner card during this time period. Wow. Okay. Last one. Although the largest case of fraud in U.S. history at the time, or although this was the largest case of fraud in U.S. history at the time, the story was underreported in the press due to the events of 9-11. Basically, this story broke right before 9-11. <laughs> um, so while it was all over the news for a short period of time... Um, it was obviously not <laughs> it was on the overshadowed of because of yeah. 9-11. <laughs> um, the trial of the scams ringleader had actually begun on September 10th, 2001. No way. Oh, man. That's so specific. I don't know if you would. I don't know if you would make that up. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Um, I think I might. Gut feeling. Uh, this isn't my final answer. Gut okay. feeling is telling me to go with the second one because I feel like I remember with like I remember being those those all those different prizes and that third one would be very bold of you to make up. So GG's if it is, but I'm going to go number two. Wait, hold on. You said the, all the different prizes. That one? No, I'm going with the second one. I feel like the prizes one is correct because I feel oh, like I okay, remember okay. that as a child. Got it. So okay, I'm going so with the, the second Jude's one. Okay, so the St. Jude's one? Yeah. Yeah, that one was also part of the scam. <laughs> was it really? Yeah. <laughs> no way. There are believed to be no legitimate million dollar winners. Sheesh. Sheesh. Yeah. Well, and granted, uh, I will say after this was all over, McDonald's did um, basically give $25 million worth of prizes to... Um, you know, a bunch of different customers, like That's through good. the through the McDonald's monopoly. But during sure. while this was going on, there were no legitimate million dollar winners. Wait, so from what they understand, how was the St. Jude's thing part of the scam? The guy who was behind it donated it. 
like one of the cards he stole, he donated to St. Jude's Children's Hospital. Oh, he mailed it. <laughs> interesting. So did did McDonald's still give them the money? Yeah. Okay, that's good. I guess that's good of him to give a million dollars to St. Jude's. Out of a guilt. He stole like $24 million. Sure, so. sure. I'm not saying that he was a good man. <laughs> However, that is a good act. <laughs> All right. Um, I also did want to get into, this is a spoiler, skip ahead maybe a minute and a half if skip you don't want to hear it. Skip ahead, skip ahead. So, okay, this, I'm going to get into how I think it was way too long, but basically in the last episode, you find out two things, who the informant was and how Jerry Jacobson stole the cards. Sure. And the way he stole the cards made me a little mad because it was like so easy. Okay. Because Give it to me. he basically, okay, he had a briefcase and it had two locks on it. One, they were both combination locks. He knew one of them. And then this woman named Hilda from an accounting company who had to accompany him knew the other combination. Okay. Neither of them were ever supposed to be with the briefcase alone that had sure. the winning prize pieces in it, like the yeah. high dollar prize pieces. Yeah. Um, but because there were only two of them, they have to go to the bathroom at some point. It's going to be alone with one of them. Yes. So he would take it to the bathroom in the airport after they got off the plane. He would... Take out, like, he had seen what her combination was by looking over her shoulder. Sure. Um, he was the head of security. He had, like, actually done that, and there were stories told about him doing that, you know, just okay. to be like, oh, you need to do better at your job hiding your code, you know? Yeah. Um, he would take out the cards. There were there would usually be a ton of prizes in there, and, like, one would be a million-dollar one. It wasn't labeled or anything. Yeah. So he would take a bunch of the low-winning ones that were, like, free food or whatever. Sure. Dump them in there, same quantity take the other ones, pocket them. He determined which one was the million dollar later. Yeah. Um, and then he was mistakenly sent a bunch of the little holographic stickers that are like tamper evidence stickers. Yeah. So he would just reseal it with one of those and it was GG's. He was good to go. That's wild. Yeah. yeah. It's just like so much incompetence went into this. Like So much incompetence for so much money. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. That's wild. But then again, it's like, how much money is $24 million to McDonald's, really? To McDonald's, you know? for sure. To us average schmoes, that's a lot. But to right, McDonald's, sure. that's not a lot. Okay. So how do I feel about this? Kind of hinted how at this before. This? I think it's way too long. Yeah. I think it's good, but it's way too long. Um, I think that I, you know, it definitely could have been four episodes, maybe even three. Yeah. Um, I got the gist from the beginning that a ton of people were roped into this without, you know, really knowing what they were getting into because sure. they were dealing with the mob. <laughs> sure. Um, I, I got the gist without needing to hear from every feeling, I, you know, I felt like I heard from every single person who was involved in this and yeah. I don't think I needed to. Granted, I'm, there were definitely people involved in this who I did not hear from, but it just felt like I was hearing the same story over and over and over and it was kind of yeah. like, I get it. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Um, yeah. I also, one of the ways that they were able to sort of get everyone's, because uh, the FBI basically wanted to get everyone's stories of the winners, um, yeah. like on camera recorded. So they created a fake production company and went around to like interview these winners and be like, what did you do with your money? Yeah. Where'd you find the ticket? Get, wow. Tell us the story of the magical moment just yeah. so they'd have like confessions sure. of all oh, of wow. them, which is crazy. But the thing is, I didn't need... 30 minutes of that. Like, I got yeah, it, you yeah, know? Um, yeah. Like, I explained it to you, I feel like, you about as well as a, they did, you know? Yeah, yeah. Um, so there was that. Um, I didn't need to see the montage of everyone speculating who the informant was in multiple episodes, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah, so I, I just thought that they stretched everything out way longer than it needed to be. Like, I think I would have been a lot more... I was really engaged maybe the first episode or two. Yeah. Um, and then after that, I was kind of like, okay, you can tie up these loose ends now. You know, I feel yeah. like they were talking about the end game of this sort of pretty early. Sure. Um. Yeah, yeah. I think it's interesting because for I feel like for documentaries with me, and this is because I'm not... I, I mean, I don't watch a ton of documentaries. If I... If something is like a feature-length documentary... I'll probably watch it if someone's like, this is really good, even if I'm not interested in the subject. Like, if it's highly, highly rated, sure, I'll, I'll give it a go. If it's like a series, like, let's say three hours, I'll be like, okay, if I'm really interested in this subject, I'll probably sit down and watch it, you know? Or if everyone's talking about it, like, don't up with cats. Yes. However... For something to be six hours long as a documentary, I have to be in love with the topic, and I also have to have heard that it's very good, because that's just so much time to watch a documentary, in my opinion. Yeah. Well, no, I it had been, like, really heavily advertised, no, for sure. sure. And, like, it was pretty new, and I was like, you know, no, I think this will be interesting. I'm definitely not faulting you for watching. No, I know, I know. For sure. And, like, but. again, it was interesting, you know, and I think that uh, another thing I wanted to sort of talk about is that 
it's definitely a big story and one that not a lot of people know the ins and outs of because of 9-11, you know? Yeah, that's that's pretty wild, actually. Because those stories (laughs) happened at the same time and obviously 9-11 was way more important. Yes, Um, (laughs) it was. Yeah, so I, you know, I think it's great documentary material and I also think it adds that little bit of excitement because, you know, again, there is the mob behind it, you know, they're... It's kind of dangerous for these people to be speaking about this yeah. uh, openly. For sure. So, um, you know, I thought that made it exciting. But at the same time, I think it could have been a whole lot shorter. Um, I also just thought, like, just given, you know, that this came out last year. Yes. I, I think that the general attitude towards, like, law enforcement, even including the FBI, even though they're not, like, conventional cops. Yeah. Like is pretty negative right now, you know, for good reason. Yes. Um so I I didn't love that they really kind of made the FBI the heroes of this story. Sure. I think they did kind of show a little bit of uh the victim standpoint of being like I didn't feel like I committed a crime, you know, I didn't get anything good out of this. Yeah. Like I didn't even end up getting the money I was promised, yeah. you know. Yeah. Like so it it was really crappy that, you know, we then had the prosecutor being like oh, well, they knew they were committing fraud. And, you know, the one who actually prosecuted all of the victims who were the winners, you know what yeah, I mean? Yeah, Um, Yeah, I don't know. There were just some parts like that that just felt a little icky to me. Sure. Um, But, you know, again, I do think the documentarians did a good job of showing kind of both sides of that story, I guess. That's but, good. um, yeah, I, I could have done with a little less uh, pro-establishment sure. screen time, sure. I guess. Um. Yeah, so all that to be said, um, me as Lauren, I'm definitely interested in the subject material. Yep. I think I personally, and as a producer, would greenlight a much shorter version of this. Because I okay. do think it's a really interesting story. <laughs> greenlight with caveats. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. I think, like, I don't know. As is, it's just tough, right? Because it's like, I don't know if I would red light it. And, like, looking at the viewership that they had when it premiered, it was pretty low. Like, under half a million viewers on wow. the day each episode premiered in yeah, the US. Yeah. Um so like not great, right? Um so I think as a producer as is honestly, I might red light it. Wow. Shame. But as Lauren, you know, and also as a producer, if I was able to say, "All right, we need to cut this in half." Yeah. You know, as Marky Mark if I can say I'm going to cut this in half, Lauren then I is think Marky I would green light it. Okay. Cuz again, I do think it's a really cool story. Yeah. I hear that. That includes two Jerry's. That includes two Jerry's, which is two Jerry's too many, as (laughs) we know. Okay. So both Lauren and I, some soft red lights today. Wow. Crazy. (laughs) You asked for this. You you did. Well. (laughs) And by you, I mean our parents. (laughs) Yeah, I don't know. Yeah. Who knows? But yes, you got a couple soft red lights today. Uh, That's all we got, I think. Yeah. Uh, join us next week as we may be talking about the new Mortal Kombat movie. Yeah. Or We did whatever. watch a couple other movies that like we might want to talk about. True. So we'll see. True. We all, we we also have another uh, new movie. Yeah. Uh recently that that we could discuss as well. So we'll we'll, we'll do some cooking up in the lab and then and then we'll yeah. we'll let you know next Fry week. Fry it on up for you. Yeah, exactly. All right. Yeah. So we will see you next week. Thank you so much for tuning in. Oh wait. Uh, wait. Uh, uh, before where can you watch you, yours is on HBO? Right. Oh, yeah, that's right. Sorry. Uh, yes. Yeah, McMillions is on HBO. I think you can also uh, rent it on Amazon Prime, maybe. Gotcha. Uh, Mortal Kombat, the first one, the second one is on HBO. Unfortunately, the first one isn't. However, you can watch it for free on Peacock with ads. Boom. So. Pretty good. That's us. Those are the movies. Two soft red lights. <laughs> and we'll see you next time. Boom. Boom.